Before we start today's show, I want to give a shout out to our partners for this podcast, Vitality. They are an essential part of me being able to facilitate these conversations. I've been an ambassador now with Vitality for several years and always the one thing that stands out most for me is just how much they care about people's health and are so keen to enhance their experience of life whatever way they can. They understand as much as I do. I think it's never about quick fixes or the one pill fixes everything. It's about the small, healthy, proactive behaviours sustained through a lifetime that can lead to incredible differences. Not only does Vitality protect members with award-winning cover, but they also offer discounts on gym membership, trainers, activity trackers and healthy food too. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm your host, Johnny Wilkinson, and welcome to this episode of I Am. This week, I had the chance to meet and converse with Sadhguru. He's a yogi mystic from Southern India, and in his experience, at the age of 26, he came to an absolute sense of oneness with the cosmos and the cosmic intelligence. Since this kind of awakening, he's been serving people and the planet in so many different forms. In our conversation, Sadhguru lays out his Conscious Planet Save Soul movement and the importance of it for our continued ability to explore what life really is all about. Naturally, this leads into a great conversation about human potential. And if you want to hear more, then do head over to the Tuesday episode just before this one. These Thursday episodes are just for the guests, though. I feel they have so much to offer, so much possibility and opportunity in what they're, they're, they're talking about, what they've been through, and it's a great chat. So I don't want to waste any more time on me. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Johnny Wilkinson. Welcome to I Am with Sadhguru. Thanks so much for your time, your presence. What brings you to London? Well, right now uh, we are launching uh, this Safe Soil Movement, which is a serious concern right now because... Uh, Soil degradation has become a global phenomena. Nearly 52% of the world's topsoil has been lost. First of all, uh, most people do not understand that it's a living soil, it's a living entity. It is uh, being treated as inert material, which is just you can add chemicals and manage. So with this, in the last uh, 50 years, uh, we've lost nearly 52% of the global topsoil. To put back one inch of topsoil, it's estimated it'll take a minimum of five hundred years. But we have exhausted more than two, three inches of soil in a matter of fifty years. So what we are right now consuming is uh, the food of the unborn child. I think this is a crime against humanity because it's a natural aspiration in every human being and in every generation of people, that our next generation should live better than us. That's always the aspiration. But right now we are crafting a situation where there is no way they can live, not not even as much as us, because there's going to be massive disasters. All the top scientists, most responsible scientists are clearly saying, by 2045, we'll be producing 40% less food and our populations will be well over nine billion. That's not a world you want to live in. That's not a world where you want to leave your children because once there are food shortages, civilizations that we have built over a thousand years 
will evaporate in three days' time. So, UN agencies are predicting by 2035, 2040, there could be dozens of civil wars across the country because of food shortages. So, there is a way to turn this back now. If we act now, we can turn this back in the next 10, 15, maybe 20 years, significant turnaround can be done. So, as a generation, this is the choice we have. Do we want to be that generation which turned the situation back from the brink? Or are we that type of generation that we slept through and crashed? This is the choice we have. What's the immediate opportunity for us to begin that that transformation of the soul? What, what can we do? Because maybe for a lot of people, it may feel individually, you feel a bit confused, helpless. You've got other things, so many other things being told to us at the moment about climate and plastics and all these things. But what what's the immediate answer, I guess, to getting the ball rolling in a better direction? See, one important aspect that I'm trying to shift the narrative is, a lot of civic issues are being propagated as environmental or ecological issues. Uh, plastics blags are floating around in the streets of London city. This is not an environmental issue, this is a civic issue. It's an issue of civic irresponsibility, which can be fixed certain amount of awareness, Unenforcement, it can be done. But soil is a basic ingredient of our life. It is a basic aspect of our food chain. And this going extinct, we are talking about soil extinction in the next 25, 30 years time. Going this way, uh, if we don't make anything about it, it'll be different. So right now, whenever I say this, everybody says, okay, let me roll up my sleeves and fix my garden. Are you fixing your garden is very cute. It's nice, it's wonderful of you, but that's not a solution. If solution has to happen in every nation across the planet, it must get enshrined in the policy of that nation that soil is a living entity, a minimum of three to six percent organic content should be there in the living soil. This is our responsibility. If we don't do this, if we do not enshrine it in the policy, and I do my land very well, you do your land very well, but this is not a solution because the next generation may again turn it back, which is what we have done in a way. It was… it was wonderful, the soil. In the last fifty to seventy years, we have destroyed it. Even if we fix it on our own concerns, there is no guarantee. It has to be enshrined in the law. It's like this, if you have a ten thousand square feet plot in London city, you cannot build a 10,000 square feet building. They'll allow you to build six, seven, whatever. If you build more, they'll come and demolish it. Because of that, everybody has some space. But you go to the old part of London. In most of the homes, there is no concept of a window. There's only one door. One door in, one door out, the same door out. That's how the homes have been built. Why were they built like this? Because there was no law. So right now, the same is true with agriculture. If you have hundred acres of land, you can plow every inch of this land. And in about 10, 15, 20 years, you can turn it into a desert. Nobody is there even to ask you, why are you doing this? Because there's no law. So there has to be a law that if you want to own agricultural land, three to six percent organic content must be there. This will bring down the input cost for the farmer in a significant way. It may take for some time for him to realize this, but for him to realize, we need to nudge him in that direction. We have to do it with the necessary incentives. 
the necessary incentives have to be provided that those who raise the organic content in their soil will get the incentives, but the biggest incentive will be that the soil content will be good because of the nutritional value will be good, the market realization will be good, above all, the agricultural input cost will come down dramatically. So, both in terms of water consumption, in terms of power consumption, in terms of all the other things that go into irrigation and the amount of leaching that is happening to the soil because of excess irrigation, all these things will be arrested if only the soil organic content is rich. So, this policy has to come. Those who raise organic content in their soils must get incentives. Only then it will move forward. And a lot of that's based on tree shade. Is that right? Getting, getting the land See, underneath the Some shade. shade. Trees, bushes, grasses, crops, cover crops. Some kind of shade must be there on the land. Because microorganisms which are responsible for 87% of the life on this planet or in the first 12 to 15 inches. Now we are using machines which plow 12 to 14 inches deep and we leave it open like this for months on end. This is murder of the soil, literally. So cover crops or crops, something green must be there because we have to enhance photosynthesis. Photosynthesis essentially means that it is taking carbon from the atmosphere, turning it into carbon sugars, pumping it down into the soil so that it can exchange these carbon sugars with nutrients with the microbial population there. They will not give the nutrients to the uh, vegetation unless they give them the carbon sugars. This is a very sophisticated <laughs> and, uh, you know, complex market system down there because there are trillions of them and thousands and thousands upon hundreds of thousands of species, each one have their own deal. And the plants have to provide that sugar. If that sugar is not able, they are not able to provide that sugar, then they will not get the uh, nutrients. Why is it that when people hear it, we still aren't able to commit? Why is it that it's taken this long? I'm looking at the, the idea that still with this going on, why will we still tend to prioritize other things above something which is obviously so, I guess, harmful and destructive, but even more the end of humanity. See, the narratives on the planet are built by various kinds of people. Today, everything is related to money. Because of that, certain things have uh, been uh, there. If you take away S from the soil, it becomes oil. I'm just saying you're blocking my S and <laughs> I see oil. That's where the focus has been. I'm not saying oil, coal, all this uh, fossil fuel burning is not an issue. It is also a significant issue. But 40% of the climate change and global warming happens because of soil. Soil is either plowed or paved. This is the problem. 71% of the earth's land is right now being farmed. Tell me, should we not attend to that first? Isn't that the most dire thing? Because other things will cause problems to us, I'm not saying no. But once there are food shortages, then there is… a uh, world will be uncontrollable. You cannot control it. People already, you know, in the last fifty years, there have been thirty wars in Africa, out of which twenty-seven wars were fought only to acquire fertile land. If people don't understand what I'm saying, they must just look at the Google Maps from 2006 onwards. Just see the spread of the desert. The desert in the last ten years in African continent, it's very significantly visible there. 
but you can observe this across the world. The desert lands in the world has increased by about 10 to 11 percent in the last 10 years' time. The entire world can turn a desert. People may not think, oh, how can this green land become desert? So for them to understand, Saudi Arabia means you think it's a desert. About eight to ten thousand years ago, it was a rainforest. <laughs> that must make it clear. Yeah. And this movement, the safe soul movement, it's a conscious planet movement. And on one level, I guess, conscious, you become conscious by being told and being aware there's a problem. But the deeper element of that consciousness, for me, represents also the solution. And I think some of that, when you speak about soil, heard you speak before about the understanding of who we are body-wise, certainly in terms of our relationship to soil, stops us from having this idea we've got to do something for the soil, understanding it's actually us doing something for ourselves as well. And I think we are the soil. Yeah. Whether we will get it now and do the necessary work or we will get it when we are buried, that's the only choice we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this journey is to make sure that everybody gets it when we are here and we can do what we can do because this is our time on the planet. Most people think they're going to be here forever, unfortunately. No, our time on the planet is very brief. This is the time for us to show what kind of human beings we are. Either we can prove we were responsible enough to turn back from a disaster, or we slept through and went into a disaster, throwing our lives and the generation and the lives of future generations into a disastrous situation because they will be in a condition even if they wish for them to turn back will be extremely difficult and uphill. Fortunately, nations are responding well. All the CARICOM countries in the Caribbean region, they are signing… already six nations have signed up MOUs with us, rest are all getting ready to sign. And the Commonwealth nations, which are fifty-four nations, they are willing to sign up. And India, of course, is full on with us. And uh, we are moving the British parliamentarians to move it at least for a debate in the parliament, which I believe will happen. It's great to, it's really reassuring to hear and, and positive as well. And many people, as you say, will get it on a level. I work in different sort of industries and people get things all the time. The next time you s see them, it's gone. What's the opportunity here to go deeper into getting it so that it doesn't go, so that it becomes part of your actual experience, your, your understanding that we are something bigger than just this individual? Yeah. Johnny, what you're asking is, how do you make sure that you win all the games that you play from now on? We can talk about how to win this game, but we can't talk about how to win all the games that you're ever going to play in your life. So what I'm saying is right now for the people, they don't have to become soil scientists. There's enough science. People have put their lifetimes of work into it. Only thing is it's not reached the people. Right now, my work is to see that the scientific research that's been there and scientists have not been able to convey to the world large scale. They have spoken in conferences, they have spoken in universities, but it's not reached the people. Uh, most people, what I'm seeing is even many leaders of the nations have not been aware of this till I spoke to them. So, right now, the important thing is the message and the voice of the people. Because in a democratic country, if you want to make any policy shift, which is long term, Without people's mandate, it will not happen. So, for the governments to boldly take the steps that they need to take, I want to support them by giving three to 3.5 billion people who will say, yes, we're concerned about the soil. 
sports people in general are beginning to understand, I think, more than ever that the power is in the team. And when that broadens out to the team grows to include all the supporters, and then when the team grows to include the other team and the respect there that comes into it, you start getting an understanding of real performance, real spirit, and that that goes on. I feel like that reactivity is almost what causes upon that unconscious. I know you call this the, the conscious planet, safe soul movement. And it's, it's the unconscious side that has us thinking this is phenomenal and it's so, so big. And then two weeks later, we're still in that space of not having done the sort of things that are available to us now. What's, I know this is a big part of the I am podcast. That's the whole point of it is, is looking at human potential. What is the opportunity there for people to step out of that reactivity? For us in sport, it, it builds around fear. It builds around frustration. It builds around where energy and, and attention is heading to places <laughs> without choice. If uh, playing a game is tense, playing a game is suffering, what is the point? Playing a game is the most joyful thing you can do. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> But now, uh, playing a game has become such a stressful, torturous activity Because most people are not interested in the game, they're only interested in the money and the medal and whatever else that comes. So the problem is you're focused on the goal, not on the process. If you take this as a life itself, not just a game, if you take the life itself as a game, what is the finish line? Death? Yeah. You want to get there soon? Process is life, isn't it? Today, how we sit here, how we breathe, how we converse, how we engage with each other, how we look at each other, isn't this the life process? Absolutely. The quality of your life isn't this, isn't it? These simple things, how you look at each other, how you speak to each other, how you do simple things in your life. Because the process is life. But unfortunately, particularly in the Western part of the world, people have campaigned, goal is the life, finished line is life. That means death is life. It's a very negative message because death is life. People every day are experiencing death. Literally, you can call it stress, anxiety, depression. In a way, it's death because it doesn't allow you to be exuberantly alive. <laughs> it's really interesting because that outcome-based idea, I was fortunate enough to reach what I thought was the end of that journey and then realized that there's nothing waiting there in that trophy, in that prize, nothing that's going to change anything great. And I think that opportunity to drop into the process for me was something that happened or certainly was more available in a young age before. And then actually with success, it became more about pressure. Everything that came out of my mouth was pressure, expectation, fear of failure. And yet at 18 years old, with the same opportunity around me, all I could talk about was joy and opportunity and I'm, I'm really, really interested in this idea of with the outcome is people are gathering ideas <laughs> of who they are. People are, and, and that playfulness you're talking about seems to disappear when there becomes a solidity about who we think we are, how we see ourselves. That becomes something that you can no longer sort of mess around with. There's nothing you can, you can walk away from. So the problem is uh, people are trying to be something in the world by accumulation. Whether it's accumulation of money, wealth, things, people, relationships, or medals, and I can tell you a little story, can I? Yeah, always. This happened once. Shankar and Pillai got into the train, Indian Railways. 
and he had a bundle on his head and he went and sat down and sat down with the bundle on his head. People around him waited for a few minutes and uh, their necks were hurting. <laughs> they said, yeah, sir, what is the problem? Please keep the bundle down, the train is moving, you don't have to carry it, keep it down. He said, no, 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 it's okay. After some time, it became unbearable. After an hour, he's still carrying the bundle. He said, please keep it down. If there's something very valuable in your bundle, keep it down and sit on it. It's safer that way. He said, no, nothing valuable, just clothes. After two hours, they couldn't bear it. Hey, man, keep it down, it's hurting us. <laughs> what are you doing like this? Why are you carrying this? Tell us, why are you carrying this bundle like this on your head? He said, uh, no, no, I don't want to burden the train. So, this kind of goodness is there in people, unfortunately, which is life negative. This is not goodness, because if you really want to be good to this life and every life around you, keeping this extremely well is important. Keeping this very exuberant, joyful, blissful is very important if you're concerned about life around you. The only thing that people expect you, from you, people who are closely around you is that you're a joy to be with, isn't it? What else do they expect from you? You think the mountain that you're carrying on your head, there may be some people who are interested in your mountain. Most people are not interested in the mountain that you're carrying on your head. They want to experience the joy of being with you. Please keep the damn mountain down. Anyway, what has to come will come with you. What has to go will go. Someone hearing that, all kinds of excuses will come up or excuses or reasoning for why I can't just enjoy myself where <laughs> I am right now. And those, whether they're emotional See, reactions First or... and foremost thing, Johnny, all, everybody, what they must understand is, you may think you have so many things in your life. The only thing you got is life. Once you take life out of people, for whatever reason, they're like this. You bring a heap of money, they're like this. You bring the most beautiful woman or man, they're like this. You show them a mountain of gold, they're like this. You say the sweetest thing, they're like this. Nothing matters, isn't it? So the only goddamn thing that you have is life. And if you think that is secondary, and uh, something else is uh, primary, then you made the mistake of your life, isn't it? Because that's the only thing you got. When I've felt a real sense of joy, where there's been, a, a I guess, a, a slight switch in my experience, or at least a, a different kind of experience has been what sports people might call being in the, the zone. In the zone, of course, yeah. <laughs> and maybe maybe an overused expression, but at least there is a there's a an experience there where momentarily you you feel a little bit as though your influence is reaching further out than your See, small you space. You may be in the zone and throw this uh what do you call that one? The rugby ball. It's not a ball. Yeah, yeah it's a ball. Yeah. But it's not round. No, it's still a ball. <laughs> still a ball, yeah. Okay, when you're in the zone and you threw it perfectly well, and I'm on the other side with soap on my hands or butter on my hands and it just went off. Zone doesn't work, isn't yeah. it? You may be in the perfect zone, but it's a team sport. Everybody's got to be in the zone. There might have been situations where everybody were boom at one moment. So, why is it it's happening only once in a way? 
Because for most human beings, their genius sparks once in a way. Suppose the sun, which is the living source of energy for all of us, no, it's the only source of energy for this planet. If, if the sun came up once in a way, not every day, what would be life? Right now, that is what it is even with the individual. Let's say, like your zone, if your heart beat once in a way, what would happen to you? Yeah, it wouldn't last long. Yes. <laughs> so, this once in a way you're in the zone is something that must go. Oh, can somebody be in the zone all the time? Of course, you must be in the zone you want to be. Because when it comes to physical performance in the world, there are many factors, okay? There are many factors which all of it may not even be in your perception. But when it comes to inner nature, being in the zone must be every moment of your life, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Because there's only one ingredient, just you. Because the only and only thing that you have is life. And how wonderful you keep it within you is all you can do. Rest of it in the world, we do something. Why does it happen to sports people? Why do they have that? I mean, it happens surely to everyone in some moments, albeit few. But what's the ingredients there at work that means that sports people, because often they might talk about, as I would, it's when the, it seems like the action becomes quite chaotic. It's quite fast paced that it seems to occur then. It's never in the slow moments. And like you said, which is why maybe in those peaceful moments, we seem to not be able to be. But in the hectic ones, is it more fight or flight based or is it actually aligned with the peaceful inner experience? <laughs> you know, three days ago, I was in a golf course with somebody and they were trying to tell me that golf is the most complex game, most difficult game right. to play. I said, see, when I was young, I've played field hockey. There were 22 boys out there. Only one ball. Everybody was trying to grab one ball and the ball was moving very fast. Still we managed to hit it where we want. Today, I like this game because I got my own ball sitting there <laughs> and it's a sitting ball. Yeah. Nobody is throwing it at, at me. It's not coming at different angles, spin, space, nothing. Just sitting there. And if you can't hit it, you need to look at yourself. It's yeah, not absolutely. about a golf yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, maybe if you want to win a PGA tournament, maybe it needs a certain level of skill. To play a decent game with a sitting ball, if you're not able to hit a sitting ball, obviously you're fundamentally not balanced in your body or in your mind, right? So, in my experience of the game, I'm, I'll come to your chaotic game. In my experience of the golf game, seventy percent is in the mind. So as far as I'm concerned, I never took a lesson, I've never been on a driving range, I never take a practice swing, because seventy percent of the game is in my head, other thirty percent I never learned. That's why I'm always any time, you know, like between six and sixteen handicap, because I never learned the other the finer aspects of golf, because I just hit the ball. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. But they are all saying, if the game is instinctive, we could play it well. Because it's a mental game, we are failing. Now you are saying, because it's instinctive, it's a problem, it's happening at such pace, all right? There's no time to think. See, both are not an issue. In your kind of game, you need to be instinctive. It's not all thinking game. 
Sometimes, yes, strategically it is a thinking game, any game is a thinking game. But momentarily, it's an instinctive game. At that moment, you do the right thing, not necessarily because you thought through. Simply you do the right thing because one thing is of practice and, you know, proficiency in the thing. Of course, natural athleticism is always there, fitness is there, how much of work you put into it yes, is sir. there. All those aspects, you know, I don't have to tell you those things. But essentially, the problem is you're trying to beat somebody. <laughs> I was having an interview with some kind of a film personality. He asked me many questions towards the end. Sadhguru, this is the last question. How do we beat Pakistan in cricket? <laughs> Sir, you don't try to beat Pakistan. Just learn to hit the ball well. <laughs> you try to beat Pakistan, <laughs> then you will definitely go somewhere. Right now, people are looking... I see players are looking at the scoreboard. <laughs> Why? Your business is just to put the damn ball in the opposite yeah. goal as many times as possible. Somebody will count, somebody will handle the cup and medal and nonsense. Your business is to put the ball there, right? Instead of that, we are thinking all this. See, when you want to do something very precise, like, you know, this happens, I'm sure this is true in every game, but I'm talking about a golf game. You will see a cricket player will come and, you know, it's called gardening. In the pitch, he'll come with a bat and like this, because small pebbles, small little grains of sand, yeah. he's settling it. So, a little distraction will definitely throw you off. Now, you're looking at the scoreboard and throwing the ball. Of course, it'll go somewhere into the spectators. Definitely. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting because my position specifically, there'll be moments where it's absolute chaos and you're performing the most difficult challenging skills with all kinds of interfering factors coming in from opposition teams to everything. And you do it effortlessly in a flowing, beautiful way. And then the referee blows his whistle and says, right, now you have a penalty, which involves me having to kick a ball through the post in a kind of golf fashion. It's a dead ball, mm. no one else around. And of course, I go from being... Oh, you call it a dead ball. Well, it's a, it's a dead ball situation. No, I get you. Yeah, but the... <laughs> I'm a, a dead rugby ball. But we're... we're no, um, I will use that on the golf course. It's a dead ball. <laughs> dead ball situation. <laughs> you exactly. can't beat a dead guy. Yeah, exactly, it's a dead ball. <laughs> and I would, I would go from being that, that genius kind of version of myself to suddenly to something I'd practiced so many times and felt like I knew so well. And yet I've moved from chaos and all kinds of complexity externally to simplicity externally and make it so complex. Because suddenly from that moment, you go from a clarity, like you said, a simplicity to an absolute complexity internally, whereby it's suddenly about what will people think if I miss this? What if I heaven forbid I let my team down, etc., etc. If you think what people will think, the ball will go into the people only. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So, I can tell you one secret, but the opposition may also learn this. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work that out when we come to it. When you want to kick that dead ball, what you do is, you exhale with your mouth open, you focus your eyes there. That empty space, okay? You can do this three times. There is something else which is called as Akash, which gets activated because of this. In this, you are naturally in the zone. Okay. Now I'm getting into trouble. That's okay. I, I like <laughs> this. And, and, and in a way, I'm going to continue that. 
because there is something of because I coach this this uh, element of the game now with players, and there is something of a kind of trance-like state that comes with that, whereby there is almost an inevitability about that connection between visualized image and external representation that comes with that trance-like state. And I, I, I don't know if that's anything to do with it, but certainly it would seem that there's almost what breaks you out of it is a sudden shock of, of just how amazing it's going. And once you think, Oh my God, this is phenomenal. You come out of it, but staying in that space, I wonder if that's anything to do with it, but there it happens more often now for people, I think. See, uh, there are three ways to function in a way that other people think is miraculous. One thing is to become all body, that you don't have a mind at all, just all body. Like, uh, I don't know, I shouldn't use names probably. There are some great players in soccer, sure. where you see them, you can see they don't have a mind, they're just all body and they'll do miraculous things that nobody ever thought they could do at that moment when they're like that. And they're getting into that zone more often than others, so they become sure. the great players that they are. Another way is a very powerful mind which visualizes and creates what it wants. That's another way to be there, which is powerful, but I don't know how many people have the necessary discipline and focus to do that. Yeah. A few do that. Some people who build the game have this thing. They even mentally deciding how the other guy should act. Many times you've seen this in rare moments, particularly in soccer and also in cricket game. The bowler decides how the batsman should act. Yeah. You know? I recognize that. <laughs> it's really wonderful to see that. Yeah. Because uh, like Sachin Tendulkar was saying, uh, you know, he was asking me a question in a conference. He says, uh, Sadhguru, like, uh, you know, like before, like right now there's the last ball of the game and uh, or, you know, I need to score a century or something important need to happen. Even before I play the shot, I see that this is the ball, that the ball will bowl and I'm already ready with that shot and that is how he will bowl and that's how I will hit. So this is using the mind to see that guy does what you want. There is another type of intelligence called consciousness. Consciousness is that intelligence which is unsullied by your memory. Body is full of memory. It's taken this form only because of its evolutionary memory, genetic memory, karmic memory like this. Because of memory, this body has formed a shape. Because of memory, your mind has taken a certain shape. But there's another intelligence which is untouched by memory, which is the fundamental and the most powerful form of intelligence in the universe. If you touch that, you body and mind should be well trained anyway to play that game, otherwise you cannot yeah. play. But once you touch that, you play in such a way which is magical for other people. There is no answer with anybody around you. There are many times certain sport reaches that place knowingly or unknowingly, the player gets in and he... They themselves are surprised. I've seen this sometimes, the tennis players, they surprised, they, did yeah. I make this shot? Yeah. They can't believe it themselves because they got into that space. I love this area of memory because it's been so prevalent in my life that the more I've bought into 
my idea of everything I've been through, that becoming the result of who I am. And I've got to try and keep it alive and survive this game and keep my reputation intact. And it just ends up being so restricting and contracting in that way. But without that memory, who or what is choosing the goal in terms of why would it be interesting? Why would it come out in a sporting fashion? Why is there passion without memory? Is that, is that coming from a deeper calling or is that the training of the body? Or it's almost like, do you need some of that to, you know, to drive your own individual passion in life? If you're talking only about sport, which is a physical thing, it's largely physical, all right. Especially your sport is a very physical thing. See, there is a need or there is an intrinsic quality in everybody, everybody to rise to its peak. So this is not something that you create because you train for rugby. This is intrinsically there, but that becomes deadened over a period of time because of all kinds of other burdens and expectations. Once you're carrying a mountain on your head, you don't want to run, you don't want to dance, you don't want to skip and jump. What, what is human potential? What does it mean to you? How, how do you view it and experience it? And how does it represent itself in, you, in your life? And, and where are its limits? Are there limits? Mm, uh, those who listen to this must understand this in the right context. Sure, yep. See, everything that we want to do with our body, everybody, in different people, the need may be at different levels. Everybody would like to conduct their body. For one person, uh, you know, just walking around in this house, going to the kitchen, dining and coming back to the bedroom without hitting anything is the peak of perfection, physical body. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would like to do that because that's their idea of high level of performance. For you, it is on a match pitch, you want to perform at a certain high level. So, this instinct of wanting to make the body go through gracefully, through certain moves, how complex the moves may be different, like a Olympic level gymnast. If you look at uh, somebody else, uh, if one of them try to do a backflip or something, how they do it, they may laugh. But for this person, this black backflip is a peak. These instincts have come to us from the evolutionary scale of being animalistic life. Because body is an animal, whether you like it or not. We are instituted with an intelligence and a consciousness and the possibility of being conscious. That's a different matter. But otherwise, body is an animal, isn't it? So this animal wants to naturally be at the peak of physical perfection. And uh, there are various aspects to that. Similarly, in the mind also, there are aspects which are above the animal nature. But it is not that the animals don't think. They think very clearly, but they think only about things that matter to them. Human beings are thinking all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> so human mind needs a far bigger attention because it can think of the cosmos, though it cannot see it. You can think about things that you cannot see. Animals are thinking about what matters to their life, their food, their reproductive process, you know, their survival very clearly, and they do always the right things most of the time. The moment they do the wrong things, their life is gone.
So those guys who did the wrong thing never exist in that field. See, uh, within this human body, in terms of there is a physical body and there is a mental body. In the yogic sciences, we don't see mind is here. The every cell in the body has its own memory and its intelligence, isn't it? See, who your parents are, who your forefathers are, is there in every cell of your body. So it carries enormous memory, a million years of memory it has within itself. And the complex functions that it is doing in terms of uh, chemical activity and other things, it's too complex for your brain to even figure. So both memory and intelligence is there in every cell in the body. So we say this is a mental body. There's a physical body and there's a mental body. This is hardware, that is software. But for these two things to work, there is to be power. So there is an energy body. In the energy body, there are 114 junction points, which we call in the yogic terminology as chakras. Out of these 114, two are outside the physical body. So for now, we can ignore that. 112 junction points within the body. So out of these 112, if approximately 21 to, let's say 20% of it is active, you will live a full-fledged life. Nobody will know that you lack anything. You will be living a extremely successful and good life in the society. You may be good at everything that you're doing. So what is the remaining 80% about? The remaining 80%, if you touch that, only then other dimensions of life will become a living experience for you. For you to live in the physical world, just 20% of your energy body is active, it's good enough. Remaining 80% gives you access. Most human beings never enter that space. As it increases, your perception of the world expands in such a way, it's almost absolutely unrealistic as far as other people are concerned. That's, uh, for me, beautifully explained. Sagari, thank you very much for being part of the I Am podcast. Thank you thank very you much. So, and, and we couldn't wish you better with the Conscious Planet Safe Soul Movement. Thank you very much. And just like that, we're at the end of another episode of I Am. I'm so, so grateful to all of you for listening in. I'm enormously keen that this be a two-way conversation. So if you've got any thoughts, questions, ideas, anything that's been inspired by these conversations, anything you just want to get off your chest and get out there, then please send them across in the reviews or just get in touch on social media. I absolutely love holding these types of discussions. I do believe there is no more powerful an opportunity in life than to look at what we can make of our time here on Earth, individually and collectively. There's so much scope and depth in these conversations and all the learnings and lessons I do feel are limitless. If you haven't already and you want to know a little bit more about why I'm holding this space and talking to these guests, then do head over to the Tuesday episodes. There I'll explain my journey and my history with these people. I'll also use this time to answer any of your questions, so don't hesitate to get in touch and I'd love it if you'd rate, review, follow and subscribe to the show. Until next week, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to I Am with me, Johnny Wilkinson. This show is brought to you by Max Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith and our editor is Kit Milson. Before I go, I want to say a final thank you to the sponsors of today's podcast, Vitality. For me, the secret to a happy and healthy life is about living consciously. 
And when we can align those little things we do and decisions we make every day with the life we really want to live, it really makes a difference, which is when the team over at Vitality comes in. Their comprehensive cover enables us all to live a happier, healthier life, whether it's through offering discounts on gym memberships at Virgin Active, Nuffield Health or Pure Gym, or on activity trackers from Garmin, Polar and Samsung. For me, I've been an ambassador with Vitality for several years now, and undoubtedly the feeling of true support when someone cares about you and your health and your quality of life, it makes a massive difference. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply.